have a problem every year around MLK Day because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun every day. We rise like the sun. We fight till the battle is won. Can you hear the footsteps? Listen, because we're coming like a gang on the street. So you can... Hi, I'm Sharon Hinton the title over my face, but that's okay because you know who I am. I'm the producer and host of On Another Level, and as always, we come here live on Comcast Channel 23 with the most amazing, the most fantastic, best guests. That's why I said the best guests in Boston and anywhere, and tonight is no different. There's a couple of things, though, that are different, and it's the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. Some of you are younger than 22 and you won't remember. And some of you remember where you were when it happened. Before we go to that, we'd like to give our condolences to Glenn Williams on the passing of his beautiful, lovely wife, Janice Williams. So we say uh, prayers and blessings to him and his family, and also prayers and blessings for those people who sacrificed their lives, over 3,000 people that day, and then many people since then because of the fallout on September 11th. So let's take a moment and reminisce and remember September 11th, 22 years ago on another level. A huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. The cockpit's not answering. Somebody stabbed in business class. And um, I think there's me. We can't breathe. I don't know. I think we're getting Just joining us, you're looking at dramatic pictures of New York's World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan, where a short time ago we are told that a plane crashed into the upper floors of the westernmost tower. I was somewhere between 74 and 72 in that stairwell when the plane second plane went through our building. And it went through our building between floors 77 and 82. So we were just a few floors below the strike center. Never felt anything like that in my life. That building, that fire skip, well, that we're inside, this concrete bunker starts to shake 
so violently back and forth, the handrails breaking away from the walls. And that's the chance we had for the first time to encounter the police and the firefighters and the paramedics from New York City and the Port Authority. Just the looks in their eyes. No words. Just the looks in their eyes. They knew that they were going up and they knew that they were never coming back. Like it was on purpose. You saw a yes, plane? Yes, I just saw a plane go into the building. Why do you say that was definitely on purpose? Because it just, it just flew straight into it. I walked up to him and leaned over and said, a second plane hit the second tower. America is under attack. Today, we've had a national tragedy. Terrorism against our nation will not stand. I was going to work. And when I heard this huge noise, I just get right away, I get out of the car. Then we same, I saw that the plane was coming down. And around this area, the wing was up and down this way. Then with the second, just crashed right away. and the crumbling concrete that once was the South Tower, the building that we had been in just eight, nine minutes earlier. My husband, Tom Burnett, he was a passenger on Flight 93 that morning. The phone rang in on call waiting. It was Tom. I said, Tom, you're okay. And he said, no, I'm not. He said, I'm on an airplane that's been hijacked. It's Flight 93 from Newark to San Francisco. He said they have already stabbed a guy and they're trying to get into the cockpit. On his fourth and final call, he said they were waiting until they were over a rural area to take back the airplane. And as we sat there listening, I said to him, you sit down, you be still, be quiet, and don't draw attention to yourself. Well, he didn't listen. He screamed into the phone, no, no, no. If they're going to crash this plane, we're going to do something. He hung up the phone and led the crew and passengers down the aisle and into the cockpit. United 93, have you got information on that yet? Yeah, he's down. He's down? Yes. Why didn't he land? Because we he had did, confirmation. He did, he did not land. Oh, he's down? Yes, yeah, somewhere up northeast of Camp David.
police officer told everybody to form a human chain, and we held on to each other, and he flashed the light, and he directed us to Building 5, and we went out Building 5. Did you see people bleeding, and what, what did you see? Oh, everybody could see. Do you want blood? Here's blood. Everybody's bleeding. People are laying all over the floor. It's horrible. It was as though day turned to night. I'm sure you've heard the description already. It was unbelievable, like a war zone. I felt horrified, because it's like, you don't know what's coming. They kept saying, it's another plane coming, and all you hear was this rumbling, people was crying, people was jumping out the window. They was waving, like trying to like say, help me, like you see their arms. And then you saw the man jump down and he just, everybody was jumping, it was, it was crazy. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. These acts of mass murder were intended to frighten our nation into chaos and retreat. But they have failed. Our country is strong. September 11th is a day that, if you're alive, you probably remember where you were. Welcome back. My name is Sharon Hinton. I'm the producer and the host of On Another Level. Um, this is the 22nd year, and time flies really, really quickly. And I remember I was working at Suffolk University Law School, and the building is right there, across the street from Boston Common, on the other side. Uh, you can literally look out and see the state house. And so that morning, I had to make a decision about a job. And I signed a contract to go and teach as an adjunct faculty at Northeast University. And so when I came into the building, um, some of the secretaries came in screaming, America's under attack. And you know, no shade. That secretary wasn't always playing with a full deck. So I sort of looked at her and I was like, whatever. But in the inside, there were these flat screens. So I went into the lobby and I saw the second plane hit. Like they were just playing the videos from the first plane. It was like somebody doing a movie, like what's going on, what's happening. But then you see the second plane and it's like, okay, this is not an accident. This is something else is going on. And then I remember I went across the street to the church and I prayed about it. And then I came back and I just started locking up my desk. I was like, I'm out. I don't know what's going on. And <clears throat> excuse me, and that's when the news about two of the planes that come from Boston and they thought there were government buildings that were targeted. I could see the state house, and I knew City Hall was right there, and two planes had come from. So I was like, I'm out, I'm out. And so then other people were saying to me, Did they say we can go? And I was like, What? Did they say we can go? I'm giving my permission to go, and I'll find out tomorrow if I got a job. I'm like, No, my daughter's in school. She was way up in Mattapan. I was like, I'm going to get my family and get away from here. And 
that was also, so we're downtown and they were telling everybody to come up from, you know, it's Park Street, come up from the subway, come up from Finally Lane's basement, like come up from down underneath the ground. So all of Boston Common was packed and nothing could move. The taxis, the cars, the buses, nothing could move. And people were just there trying to figure out like what is going on. Nobody knew what was going on. And I just grabbed, there was a friend of mine, her name is Sharon too, and I knew her mother was in New York. And I said, did you hear from your mom? And nobody could get through on the cell phone. They were all crammed. So we just started praying. And before you knew it, there were 40 of us in the middle of Boston Common, they were praying. And then finally the police let buses go through and it's like, don't worry about paying, just get on, get on. They started evacuating. It took me two hours to get to Mattapan to get my daughter. And she was, when I walked into the classroom, all the kids were laying down like it was nap time, but the teachers had the radio on. I said, turn that off. We don't know what's going on. These kids are hearing this. And at that time, the raw video was happening and people were reporting it live and you could hear this thump, thump. And so they were saying, oh, that somebody else has just jumped. Somebody else has just hit the pavement. Somebody else has to turn that off. And I brought my daughter home and we kept the TV off. And I kept the sound off because I, didn't, I was trying to process it. And then, um, you know, 22 years later. And so there were people from Northeastern that were in some of those planes. Um, I have my own theories, but just in the natural, some ain't right. Just, so I think years, you know, after these different administrations and stuff, um, we'll hear some more stories about what would really happen. Um, but we know people died. And so on this day, on another level, we want you to think about your life. There were people that got on their plane thinking they were going to California, thinking they were going to D.C., thinking they were going to Philadelphia, and that did not happen. And so you got to look at your life. Like, what are you doing today? I think it was Steve Jobs said it. What are you doing today? And if this isn't something that's worth it for you to be doing it tomorrow, stop. Like, stop it. And just really look, because there is nothing that is promised. It seems that there are a lot of young people losing their lives. Older people losing their lives. My guest looks amazing. She looks the same way to me that she looks when we were teenagers. And I've known her that long. And I call her Queen Aqua. Queen Aqua Holmes, who is an artist, a designer, an illustrator, founder, and I think the executive director of the Roxbury Sunflower Project. She has always brought sunlight to my life. She decided that sunflowers should be the signature flower of Roxbury. She is a woman who I've always loved and admired and adored. Welcome, Queen Aqua Holmes. Well, thank you, Queen Sharon. <laughs> it is my honor and pleasure to be here with you. I've never been on your show. You haven't, because you've been no, so busy. I, Going no, to Ghana. Absolutely, absolutely. And then you busy. were vice president of the Massachusetts Cultural Council. What was that? Oh, no, no. Um, vice chair of the Boston Art Commission, which I'm about to bring that to a close. It's been 10 years. 10 years. It's a volunteer position. But what? I love being a part of public art on the streets of Boston. You know, there's so much that we need to say to each other that needs to be said publicly, wrongs that need to be righted, um, omissions that need to be addressed. And I think public art is a really powerful way to do some of that. So you've always been an artist, in some way oh, yeah. an artist. Absolutely. And tonight, so I'm, I'm going to tell y'all something that I just found out about her. I thought I knew her. <laughs> She's going to tell but my you story. you sing. 
I used to sing. You used to sing. I used to sing. And then this person um, who's here at BNN told me, oh, I know her. I knew her before her name was Aqua. But your name's Aqua now, so we're not going to do that Muhammad Ali Cash exactly. Clay thing. We ain't doing that. Her name is Aqua. So, but I didn't know. I mean, I knew there's some people that walk into the room and you feel their energy and you just know that's what they were designed. That's what you were, mm -hmm. you're always here to be that. I think so. Always. Yeah. And so I've watched, you know, the different um, evolutions of your art and how you really reclaimed or claimed the collage mm -hmm. art and the books. Oh, we didn't even have the illustrations of all I the book covers and everything. Yeah. Lord have mercy. <laughs> so I feel like, um, and I've always seen you having this forward movement and being so open and available to other artists mm -hmm. and making that anointing, I call it anointing, available because you've always, now, T.D. Jakes says there are people, there's some people that are 20 gallon people and some people are 10 gallon people <laughs> and five gallon people, right? Mm -hmm. I've always seen you, I saw you as 20 gallon when you were a teenager. Wow. And like, to me, you're like a hundred gallon person. For me, locally, you're like the Maya Angelou of the art for Boston. And, but you're one of the people, you never go out there talking about, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, that. But you walk into a room and you change the energy for me. I've always known you as smiling. Thank you so much. I mean, God forbid you should never have your teeth, but I never see you stop smiling <laughs> from that. I've always known you as this beautiful smile, this beautiful person that's always been so open and welcoming. And recently, you and I were involved in this community resource fair, the second annual uh, New Beginnings Community Resource Fair. And last year, we had to reclaim that land that was in Grove Hall that was gross and nasty. It smelled like death. And then this year, you got the resources together and you flattened that bad boy out. I mean, we spent thousands to fix it last year and we just put a dent in it, but you did your thing. It needed a lot of work. But can I tell you something? My original inspiration for the Roxbury Sunflower Project was that lot. Really? Yes, because my granddaughter and I heard about this two-acre sunflower field. I think it's in Norton or somewhere out there. And so I said to my granddaughter, you know, well, let's go see that. So we went out there and we saw these two acres of sunflowers growing. Oh and I've goodness. always loved the sunflower. Plus, I was working on a book at the time about Fannie Lou Hamer. And part of what got me interested in this sunflower is she was born in a place called Sunflower, Mississippi. Oh. And I'm like, okay, she's down there. She's picking cotton from can see to can't. But she's in a place called Sunflower, Mississippi. So how does this flower represent the divinity that was surrounding Fannie Lou Hamer? So anyway, we went out to this um, sunflower field and I thought about that corner in Grove Hall. And I thought, why can't we have a field of sunflowers there? Wow. Why can't we? Why are we looking at trash? Why are we looking at broken bottles? And what else and, could possibly be in there dead? Well, I can, can tell it. you the cleanup, um, there probably had been some people living there back there near the fence. There were rat traps back there. And rat nests, these and big rat, rat nests. nests. And all these kinds of things. And it took six years. This is the sixth year of the Roxbury Sunflower Project. It took us six years to align everything to get that place cleaned up. The first couple of years, we couldn't find the owner. Oh. Then we found the owner, but we realized we don't have water. Then we got the city to say, okay, we'll help you with the water, but then somebody challenged the ownership. And just year after year, there was always a problem. But this year, everything came into place. We had the right partners, we had the will, and the we community. were able 
the community is always the inspiration and we were able to clean up that lot and plant sunflowers there. Now we came in, when I say we, New Beginnings, myself, our crew, mm -hmm. last year and I looked at that lot and I was like, this is disgraceful. It's right, because we grew up around that. I grew up and around that. And it's so there. visible, right across from the Freedom House and the bus stops there and, you know. And I said to the owner, because I had to do the same thing, like who owns this, where is he? And then even the communication was kind of deep. And I said, you know something, brother? As a black man, what are you saying about your people to have this place? Because he owns two lots. He still owns the mm -hmm. one across the street. Mm -hmm. What are you saying to your people when you have this up here? Like, you can smell the dead stuff. And we, so we didn't have all of the money, mm -hmm. but we, had it, we cleared it up enough so that we could put the tents up there mm -hmm. last year. And then we had 40 organizations and the tents and the bubbles. And so we brought joy. Mm -hmm. But before we even did that, my cousin and I walked as much as we could walked that and we put incense and prayer and we anointed it and everything. Mm -hmm. And when we had that fair, like three months after that, women who were formerly incarcerated, who had never seen um, themselves not behind the walls, came together in that land. Mm. And then, wow. um, and I'm going to give him a shout out, Sheriff Steve Tompkins. Mm -hmm. We didn't have all the money. So we put up the money to get industrial equipment to clear off as much as we could because there were downed trees and mm -hmm. There were people living in there. I thought we could have found a dead body in there because that's how it smelled. And there were like at least four rat nests that were like four and a half feet high. And I was like, whoa, with all this trash and everything in there. And people just walking past there, just throwing stuff in there like it was okay. So we tried to clean that up. And for two days, Sheriff Steve Tompkins had currently incarcerated brothers. There was at least seven of them. Mm -hmm. And they had the correctional offices with the guns oh, okay. and everything. And they came there and these brothers are so happy to give back. And then one of the brothers, um, on one of the days where he was cleaning up, his mother came to the bus stop. Mm -hmm. She didn't know her son was out doing all this positive stuff. He's supposed to get out within two or three months. She just knew her son was locked up. Mm -hmm. And she turned around and her son was sitting there cleaning stuff up. And so they hugged each other and started crying. So there was stuff that was happening on that land. Mm -hmm. And there was a sister that was at the bus stop and she saw us burning incense and praying and the whole thing. She ended up doing spoken word. And then these three kids came together, can we sing? And that was last year. So mm -hmm. then Stacy Borden, who is the founder and um, executive director of the New Beginnings um, Reentry Services Program and, and the Women's Empowerment House, which is on Gaston Street, she was formerly incarcerated. She is formerly incarcerated. She was incarcerated. And the women that she was incarcerated with, mm -hmm. when she got out, she said, I'm going to help get you out. And so these were some of the women that came together and they came together. Um, one of the women that works there was helping, was working with Stacy to get her mother out. So last year was the first time, I think her mother had gotten out three weeks mm -hmm. before we had that fair. Mm -hmm. And then this year, there were three generations. It was her, the mother that came out. She spent 31 years behind walls, hadn't even wow. raised her own child. Wow. And then her daughter was there, and then her daughter's daughter was there. And so her daughter last year, was one of the three little kids that, can we sing? We just gave him a microphone. This year, she came up there. She was owning the stage. She was like, hey, hey. So we saw from that growing and growing and growing. And so Madison Park Development Corporation, um, you and I started talking. It was still in transition in terms of the ownership. And so they're talking about, and I'm telling this to you because this is a work in progress. You've got to keep your eyes open about what's going to happen with our land our land. Madison Park Development Corporation bought it. They're talking about putting affordable housing on it. 
but it's indigenous land. We're indigenous people. It's our land. Keep your eyes open. And so, and also, tomorrow is voting day. Right. Very important. So we're live. This will be rerun. This is September 11th. September 12th, the polls open. There is no excuse. I'm from the generation. We're from the generation had to fight for the right to vote. So you don't have to look at black and white eyes on the prize. And we're still fighting for it. And we're still fighting for it. Yeah, exactly. Still fighting Amazing. for it. It's not over. Not over. Right? Mm -mm. And so even in the schools, um, Judge Garrity and busing, and there's a, there's a program coming on tonight, mm -hmm. two-hour program and WGBH talking about desegregation. You and I lived that. We were in that and remember that. And so we're here living history. I'm just so honored to have you here. I mean, every time I want to have you on here, you're like, you're away. You're going some, even, even when we had the, um, this year and last year. You know, when I think I met you was during the black student strike that Leon Rock organized and all of the high Boston school students schools. walked out and said, we demand better education. Black teachers. We demand black curriculum. teachers, accountability. And we stayed out for weeks. Now, I was going to an independent school at the time, but I felt solidarity. And I was at a private school, Beaver Country Day Both School. Both of us. I was at Shady Hill. So we came out and supported that strike, even though it wasn't necessarily affecting our educational institutions. But I learned so much, and I met so many incredible people that I think I met you then. Maybe I was 13, 14 years old. No, oh, it had to be. Really? We're not that old. <laughs> I didn't age. mention the year of it's the strike. Wisdom. No, no. Well, you know what? It's not the age, it's the mileage. Because some, some years <laughs> oh, I felt oh, like oh. I, I lived like dog years in one year, right? It was, but it's mm -hmm. true, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you, when you look at this institutional knowledge, I mean, and I think, I'm trying to think of how I knew that you were on that council. I think it's, it, oh, I know what it was. There was that um, Christopher Columbus controversy. Mm. It was Christopher Columbus controversy. There was the Mandela poster, that, the uh, mural that was on Warren Street. Right. That was happening the same. Yeah. And I was so and glad. And then it was the Emancipation Group, which was the Abraham Lincoln statue with uh, Alexander Archer, who looked like he was shining his Slave. shoes. And people bending we, down like old master. We had screaming. so many conversations all around the city, all around the world. We even had someone call in from Mexico to weigh in about it. And we ultimately decided that we have moved beyond that as a city. And that needs to be an educational artifact, but not something that's representing us as a city of people, as the city of Boston. And can I say, mm -hmm. I was so happy to see you in the room. Mm -hmm. And I know that you were the one that was in there holding people accountable. I did my best. You, you did your thing. <laughs> <laughs> so the Sunflower Project, and I, brilliant. I, I forgot to put my, I have sunflowers. And this is what happens. This is a flyer. Now you did the uh, Roxbury Library. That was what, four months ago, five months ago? Which library? Oh. The one in, on Geneva Avenue? Oh, goodness. The Grove Hall Library. Grove Hall. So there were these packets. You had the whole, mm -hmm. he had people doing it. It was in these. June. Mm -hmm. It was in June. Mm -hmm. So you, had, you were giving out packets. These are free. <laughs> These are free. And this one was the Red Velvet So Queen. the Red Velvet one, that's the one that blows people's minds because everyone thinks that sunflowers are all yellow and orange, but there are red ones. They're chocolate-colored sunflowers, and it represents the same diversity that we have. And that was oh, this yeah. one. So this is Townsend Street. This was our first real field that we got going, and we were in partnership with uh, the Kensington Group. They're volunteers. The first couple of years, their teens came and planted this field. 
And then when COVID came, everything got a little bit more difficult, so they were able to get volunteers to come and do it. But this is a street that I spent my life walking up and down. My friends lived on Townsend Street. Jewish Memorial Hospital, which is where that field is, was a viable hospital back then. But now it's just an empty building waiting to be developed really? like so many other parcels of land in Roxbury. And the sunflowers help to remind us who we are. Tall, elegant, radiant, deeply rooted in community, resilient, mm. beautiful, and transformative. Mm. And those are our seven themes. So we try to keep those ideas in people's minds that, you know, we may have to move to different places, but we are still a community. And that sunflower represents that. If you plant it in your yard and I plant it in my yard, when I go down the street, I see a sunflower, I think about our community. See? That was my, that was my goal. And this is a, this is, is this a card? So this is a mural that a um, mural. was commissioned by Now and There. Now and There was the first organization to give me a grant to do this work. And I worked on this with uh, London Parker McWhorter, who's my London. partner. Mm -hmm. You probably know his mom, Lolita Parker Jr., who's an amazing historian and I photographer. I met London working on Domingo's DeRosa campaign. And Domingo was Council. a great help just the first year. Amazing story about that. But that mural went up on Blue Hill Avenue. Uh, Blue Hill Avenue, as you know, traffic, you know, just Is hot, dusty. Is that on the wall of the laundry? Of the laundromat, Breezeway. So we worked on that together. It's a digital collage. It's got sunflowers that we've grown, plus we wanted to honor our ancestors. It's called Honoring the Past, Seeding the Future. Mm. So many cultures have come here from other places and they brought their seeds, they brought their gardening traditions, they brought their flowers, and we have to always acknowledge them. So that's part of what the, um, the mural seeks to do. Now the other thing, and so for those of you who are not really, you know, Farmer Brown and stuff like that, <laughs> how to plant your Roxbury sunflower seeds. <laughs> Find a very sunny spot, six to eight hours of sun a day. Mm -hmm. Plant each seed two inches deep and six inches apart. These seeds are small, but... Small but mighty. How many usually come There's in There's 25 in the package. There's 25 mm -hmm. in the package. Um, keep soil mo moist. Keep soil moist. But not wet. Not, not wet not for the first yeah. seven to ten days. After the plant emerges, let nature take over unless it's really dry. Watch your sunflowers grow. Roxbury Radiance, www.roxburysunflowerproject. Maybe you can put that up. .tumblr.com. We have some contact information that we'll put up later. Um, this is the book. So, are you, so when we come back from the break, this is Roxbury Sunflower Project 2021. So you've been doing it how many years? Six years. This six is the years. Sixth year. It was only supposed to be a one-year project, but I said, how can you do it in one year? You have to do at least three. And, and then COVID my, I don't came. I not know if people can see my little pin here because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all flowers so you're all here. So you're all, you got the right colors on. Definitely. Previous and current sponsors, Born B. Kim, Boston Public Library, Grove Hall Branch, Domingos, it's Domingos de Rosa, Dudley Cafe, Ethan is evoked, Ethan V-O-G-T. yeah. And Night Garden, Dudley Greenhouse, Freedom House, Lisa Martin, Greater Grove Hall Main Streets, Grove Hall Branch, Haley House Bakery Cafe, Hawthorne Youth and Community Center, Kensington Group, Lewis Family Foundation, Mass Arts Center for Art and Community Partnerships, Museum of Fine Arts Boston, Northeastern Crossing, now and there, Roxbury Heritage State Park, SAC Realty, Sunrise Movement, Thornton Street, Urban Farm and Community Gardens, United Neighbors of Lower Roxbury, Community Garden, Urbanica, Urban Farming Institute, Bobby and Nataka Creighton. That's right. See, I, I had to read that out <laughs> because one of the things that Sister Aikwa and I talked about 
is that we're not waiting for anybody to come save us. This is community coming together for community. Right. Community for community. And this was 2021, but I, you have 2023. I know I've, I come there most times and get my sunflowers. Right. It's somewhat in the tradition of Elma Lewis, who I, not only did I go to her dancing school, but my mom did as well. And I don't know if you guys remember the um, creation of Playhouse in the Park. I do. It I was performed a group, there. It was a group of black mothers that went and cleaned the space in Franklin Park. The city should have done it. The city could have done it. But what got the city involved is catching up with the sisters that went up there and did it themselves. And that's how they were able to establish that tradition that we still enjoy today. And so with a project like this, it was something that I felt was important. And I hoped that the community would feel it was important too. I, I named it Roxbury Sunflower Project, not Aqua Sunflower Project, not Art Sunflower Project, but Roxbury because that's who we were trying to bring to the table to accept this as their symbol and as something beautiful and radiant to make them smile as they walk about the community. And hopefully you've been smiling during this program on another level. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton, my guest, artist, designer, illustrator, queen, Aqua Holmes, founder and executive director of the Roxbury Sunflower Project. Take a look at this little piece of information, a little bit different, but still building up the community. We'll be right back, but stay with us. Every year, Americans spend $100 billion on lottery tickets. How did this industry go from being a means to raise public funding to a predatory business that impoverishes low-income individuals? Brought here by early British settlers in the early 1600s, state-run lotteries in the 17th and 18th centuries helped build bridges, roads, and even colleges. In 1799, an enslaved man named Denmark Vesey won enough money to buy his freedom. In 1894, however, the lottery was abolished by the federal government due to corruption and other reasons. Fast forward to 1964, when states realized they could use lotteries to boost funding without raising taxes. The lotto re-entered the chat. In the 1980s, states began banding together to increase the jackpot size. During this period, the Powerball and Mega Millions were born. Nowadays, the lottery industry is optimized to prey on the most vulnerable in our society. It purposely runs aggressive ad campaigns in low-income communities of color. Neighborhoods with lottery retailers often have a higher Black and Hispanic population than those without the stores. Some states even allow lottery sales in check cashing stores, Dollar Generals, and other businesses that target low-income clients. As a result, studies found that in previous years, low-income households spent roughly four times more on lottery tickets than households who earned more than $75,000. And annually, individuals who did not complete high school spent four times more on the lotto than college graduates while black folks spent nearly five times more than white people. These communities get very little back from this industry, which massively profits off their hard-earned money. Sure, every lottery player can win a little once in a while, but on average, individuals lose roughly 35 cents to every dollar spent. These losses add up to $29 billion nationwide every year. Additionally, while state-run lotteries say they use the funds to support public education, they often put those funds into wealthier neighborhoods. For example, in Kentucky, less than 5% of a lottery-funded scholarship program went to Black high schoolers in 2020, even though they make up nearly 10% of high schoolers in the state. The lottery might sell you hopes and dreams, but at its core, it's a gross, predatory business that takes money from those who need it most. Is your driver's license registration? So there's a slate. Welcome back. 
We're here talking to my good, good friend, Aqua Holmes, who is artist, illustrator, designer, founder and executive director of the Roxbury Sunflower Project. There's a picture, a poster of a sunflower that I want my director to put up that talks about the qualities of sunflowers. We're talking about the beauty and beautification, but sunflowers can be used to clean up radioactive waste. They're able to extract pollutants, including radioactive metal contaminants, through their roots and store them in their stems and leaves, making them the international symbol of nuclear disarmament. That's exactly right. That's why transformation is one of our themes, because sunflowers can transform the, transform the soil that they're planted in. Transform the soil for the people. Mm -hmm. And taking radioactive waste, which people think that once it's there, it's never going to go away. Mm -hmm. But sunflowers and sun. And they do it with beauty and grace. And there was a woman that, you know, when we did the second annual um, New Beginnings Resource Center, Community Resource Fair, you talked about the different colors. Mm -hmm. And so you weren't there. So forgive me if I gave her permission. I didn't have any <laughs> right to. Me. But she said, can I cut down these? I, so people wanted to come there. And they were like hundreds of them, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, London, thank God, and a couple of sisters from the New Beginnings home and a couple of the volunteers. Um, one of them is Shanetta Davis. She's a producer here at BNN. Mm -hmm. And so they went there because we had had so much rain. It's like everything is just growing. Mm -hmm. And so there were so many weeds there that we couldn't see the sunflowers. But before the fair, they came there and they cut it down. Mm -hmm. And people saw the sunflowers. And, and um, an elder woman, she says, I've never seen chocolate-colored sunflowers before. I just really... I'm not trying to make fun of it, but that's how she sounded. She said, can I take some of these? And a, and a young man came, he wanted to take to, to his mother. And there were a couple of people that really came. And so um, not only did they want to have the bouquets of the sunflowers, which are beautiful, but they also wanted to get the seeds. Mm -hmm. Because once you have them, right. then, and your, your seeds are organic, so you can actually have seeds in them to be able oh, to. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're so, not for eating, but you can grow sunflowers you next year. Them? I mean, they're not, there's a certain breed that are for oh. snacking. So you'll see when you look at the different types of sunflowers, some of the seeds are very tiny black seeds. Some of them are the big ones with the stripes. They come in all different sizes and shapes and colors. So which ones are the bigger ones with the stripes? I think it might be the mammoth ones. Oh. Yeah, the ones that the Russians cultivated that can grow up to 25 feet tall. 25 feet 25 sunflowers? feet tall. And my son grew some 20 feet tall sunflowers in my front yard. I couldn't believe it. Wow. He's got a green thumb though. So well, he, gets mm -hmm. it from, he gets it from his mama. No, ma, the, the first thing I ever grew in life was a sunflower. Really? Other than my son. The first thing I ever grew <laughs> was a sunflower. Well, you grew him and he grew sunflowers. There you go. So it skipped a generation, but we're okay. Tell me, so, and, and we run out of time and I always knew that was gonna happen, but um, so we've got about 15 minutes give or take. Okay, yeah, I wanna tell you about the event that's yeah, coming up on September say, 22nd. Yes. So September 22nd, the first year that we had this um, Roxbury Sunflower Project, we had a wisdom festival to culminate, close the season, and we asked the community to come and bring snippets of wisdom that they wanted to share with the community, and we created a wisdom well. And they put, you know, different things in there. Some of them will make you laugh, some of them will make you cry. And then you could come and pick out someone else's wisdom and, and walk with that. So this year, we took a selection of those and we've made them into works of art that are going to go in the sunflower bed. So in that, Grove Hall. In Grove Hall. Next to the post office. So right next to the post office, between the post office and Freedom House, 
that lot, we're now calling it the Roxbury Sunflower Garden, Roxbury Sunflower Wisdom Garden. We have an event there from 4 to 7, September 22nd, which is a Friday. So after work or after you pick your kids up, you can come. We'll be offering right um, garden party. Beautiful. Uh, we'll be offering refreshments. We'll have seeds. Mm -hmm. We'll have um, the artworks. And we're going to have music by the Maconda Project. And also, we have a DJ coming to set the mood. So it's going to be you a very Jomo. lively affair. We have Jomo oh. King. So it's going to be a lively affair. Um, we're going to have some giveaways and some raffles. And then our sponsors, who I should mention, uh, the Rose Kennedy Greenway, Greater Grove Hall Main Street. Special thank you to the Grove Hall Trust, who came through at the last minute and helped and us do some now things. Now and is sticking with you, too. Now and there is sticking with us. Oh, there's all the sponsors right there. So Madison Park Development Corporation, they're the new owner, but they also support the project. Freedom House has been one of our longest supporters. When Lisa Martin was there, she actually went out and watered those flowers and made sure everything was all right. Um, United Neighbors of Lower Roxbury Community Garden, that's London Parker McWhorter's. Uh, wheelhouse. He's a co-caretaker there, and he's my partner. We have uh, Friends of Martin's Park, which is a park down on the Greenway to honor the little boy that was killed during the, uh, the, Boston, Ma the Boston Marathon bombing. Uh, Speak for the Trees, they did watering for us I've because they have watering trucks. And Hearst Landscaping, which is uh, probably a 30 to 35-year-old black landscaping oh, company. Wow. They're the company that came and leveled, and he actually donated the graveling of, of those pathways, widened them, and put gravel down so they'd be safer. People could run their strollers through without, you know. In wheelchairs. This was the first uh, yes, year exactly. we could have people with walkers and there wheelchairs. You go. There you go. Because we couldn't do it before. Sharon, you and I are about making things better in the community. I know I can count on you for that. You know yes, you can count on me for that. But there's a lot of people who are nameless, but who do things every day to make our community livable, workable, lovable. Absolutely. And I, I salute them. And I hope they'll come out and have something to Say eat. Say it again. Say it again. It's, it's Friday. Friday, September 22nd. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're calling the address. Oh, beautiful. We did the Museum of Fine Arts. We didn't get a chance to talk about that. Mm -hmm. But on the lot between the Roxbury Post Office and Freedom House mm -hmm. from 4 to 7, music, refreshment. We also have the winners of our first poetry contest. Oh. They'll be reading their poetry. So it's just going to be a great event. Easy going, relaxed. We've reclaimed that land. That's right. And Madison Park, I believe that they're going to continue to work with us and they're going to be, uh, continue to work with you to make that. sure that that land gives back to the community. And let me just give a shout out to black women because we're making it happen. Mm -hmm. We... <clears throat> So tomorrow is a voting day, mm -hmm. and let's just say Very important. Biden and Kamala Harris would not be in the White House oh. if it was not for black women, mm -hmm. who, by the way, ran for governor again, and they didn't even support her. I, I, I don't want to even take that. I don't even want it. Uh, we're not going to go there. Just go out and vote. If you weren't right. registered, this is a prime... No, there wasn't a primary. Can you register on site now? This is a primary. And so there, is, there are only certain um, areas where the elections are contested. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow, and people say, well, I'm going to go for the real election in November. No, this is a real election, especially in those areas that has more than one person on the ballot. Mm -hmm. um, you have to go, and you have to go and vote if you're registered to vote. Find out 
Don't just say, oh, I like his haircut. I know his mama. <laughs> and vote. Like, actually look at the platforms of what people are standing for. You can Google it. You can Google everything else. And Google most of it. the ward committees, they have selections. They have questions that they've asked these Certain folks. endorsements. Mm -hmm. I'm on Ward 18. Um, and I actually went to Worcester. And so there are different levels, especially with the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. Just because you signed a petition to get somebody on the ballot, that's the beginning. That's part of the process. Mm -hmm. If you want to get them elected, you need to volunteer, door knock, um, promote your, your candidate, mm -hmm. um, be on the polls. There are so many different places and vote and encourage people to vote. My daughter has been voting forever. Mm -hmm. Even when I was carrying her like this, she saw me go in there and that's, that's when right. they had the little Bring lemurs. Your children. Bring her in there Show so them. she knew there was not an option for her not to vote. Mm -hmm. And then I've had her working on the polls with me and campaigning. I've worked, you know, Domingo Sarosa, it is a shame that he is not an at-large city council. That, he's my brother. And he lives what he says when he's right. the coach to the Boston Bengals and fighting for them and picking up needles. Um, On our first planting, I didn't know what I was doing. I ordered mulch and soil and everything, and he just happened to be driving by. And he said, that's not going to be enough mulch for that. And I said, oh, I, I guess I can get some more tomorrow. He went to his place and brought me back mulch. No charge. And then he and his guys helped us spread it down. That's my first experience with Dominguez. And he was working with me. And when Sheriff Tompkins brought, his, brought the guys with the equipment, they didn't know how to use the industrial equipment that we had. Mm -hmm. He taught them how to do it wow. and was training them and supervising them while they were doing it for two full days. Nice, nice. And he doesn't, the thing that I watched about him, first off, when he was doing the Mass and Cats, it was his group that formed the South End Roxbury. Mm -hmm. that made that a campaign issue mm -hmm. way before um, anybody else was dealing with it and was shutting down that intersection between Mass and Castle, all the traffic to bring the media attention, drive the media attention. And I watched him step away from the cameras when the camera showed up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I literally... Oh, and you see some people who walk right to it. And I just want to bring up this point because you did say we were talking about, you know, the importance of black women and the work that they do in the community. But there's a lot of really good black men, men doing great yes. work in the community. And I want to bring up my uncle Stanley Jones. I don't know if you've heard of the Stanley Jones Clean Slate Award. Oh, that, I did, Yes, yeah. that was my uncle. And he spent so much of his life incarcerated. But when he finally came out, he made it his mission to go back in and help other people get acclimated to the world out here. And so I just think the world of him because you could have written him off, but he didn't write himself off. And so he did some of the work that you're doing with incarcerated members of our community, not giving up on them. And I just want to mention his name. They say, as long as people say your name, you'll never be forgotten. That's right. Stanley Jones, my uncle, I love him to pieces. I my just father, the first memories of my dad were visiting him in prison. Mm -hmm. And I was um, two and a half years old. And he came out, uh, started going to school at Brandeis. He formed the New England Grassroots Organization. He was working with... Ruth Batson and Ellen Jackson that formed go. Operation Exodus, yeah. which became METCO. Yeah. And he, the wisdom he had back then and said, this is only supposed to be a temporary situation while we build our own schools. He was right. Yeah. Because 50 years later, we're still dealing with this craziness, right? right? Yeah. And so you're right. We have to give shout out to the kings and the queens. And we have to work together. We have to work we have together. have to work together. And so. we've been working together. Oh, yeah. And so you and I both know London and different areas, but that's the work that that's he does right. and his mom. Exactly. And, and so that's amazing. So... Um, what should people remember? Okay, so this is, I, I don't want to sound morbid, and I definitely want to, this is one of several shows. Mm -hmm. You've been going to Ghana, you've been connecting, and I want to go, um, because 
everybody that I know that's gone to Africa came back transformed. It came mm -hmm. back changed. Mm -hmm. There's something about full circle going back home. Mm -hmm. Whether you know, so we're all Africans, <laughs> even the blonde head and the blue eyed ones, just, just get that straight, right? So there's something about going home. And touching base with your people. Oh, yes. Tell me about your recent trip, because how many times have you gone? And you just went recently. I've been to Africa three times. I went in the 70s. I went mm -hmm. to Ghana and Nigeria. I went to Cairo in 2003. And then I'm back in Ghana this year. This is the year that I got to visit the, the slave castles mm. and hear the history from the other side of the ocean and understand how devastating it was. We think about our devastation here, which is no questions asked, but also the loss of life, the loss of young, strong, talented black life from the, the West African part of Africa that came here. It left a void. And, um, it's still being felt because... And it's still being felt, but to hear them talk about it and to hear that the Danish were involved in the slave trade. I and never the Irish. knew that. I never knew that. In the that. Caribbean. And how you can tell by the bricks, the different colored bricks that they use to repair the floors. The fact that on top of the slave dungeons, oftentimes that's where the church was. Mm. Literally on top of the, this human cargo, these people were confessing to their God and trying to get blessed, and they were doing it on top of the, the groans and the screams of women and men down My below. God. So there's a, there's a lot that, you know, I can't fit it into five minutes, but I would just say, if you can go, then you should go. And go with an open mind. Uh, go as if you're visiting the home of a friend. You know, some oh, Ameri your home. Americans have uh, a reputation sometimes for feeling that everything should be the way that it is here. But every country has evolved differently. And I can tell you that the kindest, most creative, um, the entrepreneurial spirit is is incredible. The music, the art, the food, everything was just so elegant and so wonderful that I'm planning on going back next year. So, and I have a great travel uh, agent that we worked with. Um, we went actually because my cousins were renewing their vows mm. and that happened in a tribal area with um, a chief and it was just magnificent. Oh my God. I can't, I can't even begin to tell you. So I was. need you to come back because I really want to go really more into you and how your art evolved. Mm -hmm. um, I never knew, until today, I never knew you sang. Like you actually went to school for that. Did you dance? What were the other? Well, I went to Elma Lewis School of Dance, absolutely, yeah. I mean, back then, all girls sewed, all girls danced. Home economics. We and they to wanted to African dance. I mean, all girls wanted ballet, but drumming. they wanted the traditional dancing, and the boys would uh, do drumming. And Elma Lewis had all of that. She's like, if you go to Europe, go to Africa, because they're, they're both grand, but this is your homeland. This is where you came from. And um, you know, she was a Garveyite. She yep. was raised in a Garveyite yep. home, and Garvey took a lot of his inspiration from Ghana. So that's another reason. W.E.B. Du Bois is buried there. We went to his oh, compound wow. where his body is buried. So there's a lot there that's directly related to the African-American legacy. And so I think if you can, and just like um, Muslims go to Mecca, I think African-Americans should find their way to West Africa. There's a project, and I'm not going to tell you on camera, but there's a project that's been a dream project of mine for the longest period of time. We got to go. Mm -hmm. Say it one more time. Mm -hmm. This year's Roxbury Sunflower Project. Look at that project. camera right there. <laughs> um, Friday, September 22nd, 
on the lot between the Grove Hall Post Office and the Freedom House. We're gonna have refreshments, we're gonna have raffles, we're gonna have the Maconda Project. This is a 13-piece jazz band that plays the compositions of Maconda Ken McIntyre, Roxbury native. We're gonna have Jomo King as our DJ, and we're just gonna have a great time. So please come on out. Everything is free and I'll be looking for you. So be looking for me. And I am thank you, thankful for you. I'm looking for you. <laughs> I will be there, Lord willing. Black Teachers Matter will be there, Lord willing. And thank you for being here with me. Thank you for inviting tonight. me. Tonight, this has been an that honor. And love you so much. Okay, love sweetheart. you so much too. Take care of yourself and each other. Go out to vote tomorrow, September 12th. No excuses. No excuses. And thank you for being here for us this evening. Um, love you. God bless. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun every day. We rise like the sun. We fight till the battle is won. Can you hear the footsteps? Listen, cause we're coming like a gang on the street, so you better start running. It's time for some action now. Historical progression, generations march in succession through 400 years, hate, blood, sweat, and tears, and counting. The resistance is mounting. Thousand. 